1: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bub on the Bat Flip, episode 25, Outfield Preview, part 2. 46 through 90, NFBC, ADP, online drafts since February 1st. These are the guys that people go, why are you talking about so late? Well, because you're actually going to draft a lot of these guys, especially in five outfielder leagues. So this is where you get some of your value. So, you know, let's do this pocket aces thing. And, you know, guys that do pocket aces might find them on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how we doing, man?
2: We are doing uh, great, Bubba. Excited for another epic outfield preview. It's something that we have done now for two years. And so I'm really excited this year that we've broken it into two podcasts instead of one three-hour one. So excited to, to cover the, uh, the back half. And things are getting crazy. You know, we're getting really close to draft time. Drafts are already happening. And so it's just been a really fantasy baseball-filled week. I would say, I know, I know it's been similar for you.
1: Yep. It's getting busy. It's getting real busy. A lot going on out there and glad that uh, everyone that's listening decides to listen to us, which is good. Cause there's tons of options out there. So Absolutely. always fun stuff there. Uh, I forgot to mention, I'm on Twitter at BD Intric, but I'm pretty sure by now you know where to find us if you're, if you're curious, but uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, you know, I love it right now. It's the best shape of their life stories everywhere. Oh. We're seeing, um, you know All these guys, Fran Mill Reyes took six swings today and five were for home runs. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful time of the year, but we could talk about that forever. There's actual games later this week, so we're going to have some fun news and notes probably coming up in the in the upcoming weeks that might change our decision. As you mentioned, draft season is in full force and about to really crank up for you guys in the high, high stakes NFPC stuff. But let's go into it. 46 through 50, we're into it in our groups of five like we did last week, kind of talk about them, hit and miss there but uh, some fun ones here because there are some questions on J.D. Davis. We'll talk about him later. He comes in at 46, Willie Calhoun, forty seventh. Lorenzo Cain, 48, Hunter Dozier, 49, and Brian Reynolds at 50. Interesting group here. A little bit of a uh, different player profiles for these five, but uh, what are you seeing in this group?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think this is uh it's definitely an interesting group. I don't think there's anywhere to go terribly wrong. Um, within this group, I do think that there are some pretty nice values. Um, Lorenzo Kane would be probably my favorite in this group. Um, his projection has him at about a $12 um, player this year. And when you look at what uh, Kane has done in um, – uh, did, did last year, you know you would think that he really struggled from a skills perspective, but the skills were actually better, like from a batted ball quality perspective. And in a lot of ways, and he was struggling throughout the year with injury. And so I really like him as a bounce back candidate. Uh, it's hard to get speed and batting average later in drafts. Um, and while his his uh, ATC projection is is in at uh, 279 with 19 uh, stolen bases, um, you know, he, he definitely has a, a long history of doing better than that in the batting average department. So he's kind of the one out of this group that, that stood out to me as somebody that I have been targeting previously in drafts, if I need speed or I need batting average. Um, I know folks um, had a lot of questions about J.D. Davis, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. I think one of the things that's interesting as you get into this part of the draft is you're starting to get guys who aren't necessarily projected for you know 600-plus plate appearances so somebody like J.D. Davis, you know, right now the projection is for 477 plate appearances. He's obviously pretty bad uh, on it from a defensive perspective. And so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see where he falls because a lot of guys in this group, if they can get, um, well, actually really J.D. Davis, um, if he can get more more plate appearances, then obviously he becomes a much, much more enticing guy you know, improvements across the board last year, better better plate discipline, better contact, harder hit. The ground ball percentage is down slightly, but still pretty high at 47%. So again, depending on the way you look at it, like either room for increased power, if he can get that down a little bit, or, you know, a cap on the ceiling uh, in terms of the power because of the high ground ball rate. Um, So those guys are really nice. I mean, I could really spend a lot of time on each one of these but i will spare our listeners and, <laughs> and ask you what what you feel about this kind of group of five
1: it's it's a group that i think when we talk about roster construction these players all help in a different way yeah some help in similar ways but it, they all kind of have their own little niche like you said with locaine it's amazing you look at his player profile he's never been really more than a 15 home run guy he's been double digit homers for three straight years but what we love is the stolen bases and he was banged up a lot last year so if he can get back to that 20 steals plateau, like you were saying, you maybe get over that plateau, and you will know, get you the batting average to go with it, uh, Hit towards the top of that crew lineup, scoring some runs. He could uh, actually be valued, because if you look at where he used to be getting drafted, 40, what what I say, 46, 47, where he's going right now, 48, is not normal for Lorenzo Cain. So uh, he, he could return some nice value, as you were saying, with your your numbers here. Uh, J.D. Davis, I agree. The, the stat cast metrics are off the hook. He's another guy that just needs the designated hitter. It's that simple. He just needs the DH. His defense is atrocious. And it's so bad that they're already saying, and this has been the argument on Twitter, and people think I don't like J.D. Davis, but I love J.D. Davis. He is a stat ass monster. He's a great DFS asset when a lefty's on the mound. But the fact that he's a defensive uh, liability, they're willing to platoon him with Dom Smith. That is all you need to know. They're both bad at defense. So... Um, that, that that just tells you the level it's at for J.D. Davis, which really stinks. Like, I hope he plays a lot. We all hope he plays a lot. Uh, Willie Calhoun's a fun one here. Like, Lorenzo Cain is the guy I see that can, you know, outperform things and get back to normal. Willie Calhoun's got that ceiling because he was once a high, high prospect in the Dodgers system. He's got power. He's got average. A little bit of everything. He can give you four categories. He just ain't running. Big boy is not running. But he can give you four strong categories at this point in the draft and I like his upside probably the most in this group. Uh, Hunter Dozier's awesome. He's kind of like a J.D. Davis light to me. The stack-ass metrics are really strong. Can he do it again type thing? J.D. Davis, Davis had the better pedigree. Dozier did it. We'll have to wait and see. And then Brian Reynolds, bad average guy on a very bad offense, so be careful. And if Gerard Dyson's leading them off and not Brian Reynolds, that lowers things a bit too. But uh, it's a fun group. Like you said, very, very fun group. I would love to see Willie Calhoun's my favorite target in this group, though. If you're uh, if you if you have a very safe team up to this point, I think Willie Calhoun's that guy. If you don't need steals, can cover four categories for you and has a very high ceiling in average and a home runs that uh, maybe not as easy to find that point in the draft.
2: Yeah, I, I just on on Calhoun. Um, I think you're right on. Like just like Davis last year, he improved his plate discipline, had better contact, hit the ball harder. Uh, lowered his ground ball rate the the profile when i talk about like the four um legs on the stool he checks every single box except for maybe the stat cast data his stat case cast data isn't off the charts but um agree with you there. really uh really like he's interesting i haven't drafted him yet i wish i had a share somewhere um but he's definitely an interesting profile for sure
1: well, he, he's a tough one because he's one of those guys, we've talked about it before, like in the barf recap, that you have to go get your guys. There's a lot of people that are savvy to the to remembering how good he was. People were drafting him towards the end of drafts last year, hoping you get to play, and that was kind of a wishy-washy situation last year. Well, now with certain moves in Texas, it looks like he's got a job. And, and that looks good, but, you know, his, his ADP is around 177, but he's got as high as 152, so you're talking 25 picks. That's almost two rounds in an NFC. so that's like – you really need to decide, do I want him or do I not? He's got as low as 204. So it's, and we're going to see a lot of gaps at this point in the draft of, of plus and minuses because of the different talent levels. And these guys, like I said, are a lot of roster construction type players. But uh, Calhoun's one of those guys that he can he can be very, very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, and one one thing on him,
2: too, is is he does have really bad splits against lefties. So that'll be something to be... To monitor is just to see whether he can improve that and get in the in the lineup every single day because two seventeen batting average career against lefties um, compared to two seventy eight versus righties, so you know a seventy WRC plus against lefties, so that's something to monitor and know. Like when you draft him at that point in the draft, you may be getting a guy which you can platoon, which is good and bad, right? Because you get the best Mm -hmm. of what he's able to produce, but you also need to be kind of monitoring the lineup really closely and, and swapping him out. Um, when there's when there's a number of lefties that he's going to be facing,
1: that, that's a good point. Yeah, thirty percent below league average is not good. First, adventures. <laughs> so something to keep an eye on it. And it, it's we're going to keep beating it, beating it home uh, in, in the rest of this podcast. That a lot of these guys, majority of them, aren't going to be playing one hundred percent of the time. Maybe not ninety percent of the time with your, their positions. Lots of platoons here. There's a few. We got a couple coming up that don't understand the draft prices, but uh that's most of them. Uh, 51 through 55, Aristus Aquino, uh, Adam Eaton, Alex Verdugo with his bad back. That number I can see dropping down. He's gone as low as 271 of late. So I think that one's going to keep plummeting. Uh, Jock Jams and Avisil Garcia. So another interesting group of five. How do you break these guys down?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, the one that I really love, and, and maybe it's just maybe I've got a type. But um, when you look at, uh, and I didn't talk about Brian Reynolds in the last one. I do, I do like Reynolds a lot as well, but Adam Eaton um, in this group really stands out for me. He's an $11 player. The the second closest is Verdugo as an $8 player, but um, Verdugo is like you mentioned, I think he's going to be falling down draft boards given the injury. Um, and just, I'm not sure what, what is that appealing about him to be honest, but um, for, for Eaton, you know, um, he has just been incredibly consistent when healthy, obviously he was injured for two consecutive years, but last year he put in, uh, a, an incredible performance. He's going to be at the top of that still very solid nationals lineup. He's an OBP guy. So he gets on base a ton, um, still steals a decent amount. Um, he's projected for, uh, 13 stolen bases, 13 home runs and 284 batting average. By ATC, so he's a he's a batting average helper at this point in the draft, a stolen base helper at this point in the draft, and that's also in 584 uh, plate appearances for Eaton. And so obviously he's an older he's an older guy, 31. So they like to give him a little bit of time, maybe um, here and there um, outside of the lineup. But last year he had 656 plate appearances. So if he can stay healthy, you know, if you increase the plate appearances, you know, by uh, you know 50 or so. Um, which if he's healthy, he's likely to hit at the top of that lineup, then it becomes even more interesting because you're talking about, you know, a 15, 15 guy with plus batting average at this point in the draft. So I really like him a lot in this group. Um, I think the other guys, I love Aviceo Garcia. I think for him, I've been a big fan for a long time. He's one of these hyper aggressive guys that despite swinging and missing a ton, he has a really nice K rate. He really had a, you know, a nice season, a nice rebound season last year with the Rays. He's a fast guy. He's a kind of a stat cast darling, hits the ball really hard, but he also hits the ball on the ground a lot. I love the the fit in Miller Park because he goes to right center a lot. If you want to get excited about Avisail Garcia, just do the whole spray chart overlay mm-hmm. for him because it's like uh, more home runs galore. Again, that's not scientific, but I really do think it will allow him to be the best hitter he can be, You know, going uh, hitting the ball up the middle, hitting it to right center. Um, just a really exciting guy, and he is in a platoon with Ryan Braun, and so that's just something to monitor. I don't think the plate appearance was will be there, but if he is very good, then on a team that needs a little a uh, little bit of offense, maybe um, you know compensating for the loss of Moose, uh, he he could he could step in there on a regular basis, I think, because they their lineup is not as that that impressive, uh, from my perspective. A similar guy to that is Aquino. Obviously, huge kind of risk reward guy. Another super aggressive guy. The stat cat metrics really, really like him, but he's definitely come back to earth even in that department since he started. But I think what is intriguing is the eight stolen bases to go along with the power. Uh, Jock is a really nice guy to have in there to rotate, kind of in and out. Um, does he become if he stays with the Dodgers? Does he become more of an RBI guy than a runs guy? Since he probably he says he won't be at the top of that lineup, he'll probably be batting further down, so that's going to lose him some plate appearances there. And then Verdugo is kind of the least interesting for me. Obviously, the contact profile is super exciting with the high batting average, but I don't think Fenway may be good for the batting average. I think it's going to be tough for the power. It's really tough on lefty power unless he can go to the opposite field, and I don't remember him as a particularly strong opposite uh, field guy. Um, and then also the injury. I mean, you know, what is it, stress fracture in his back? I think that does not sound um all that interesting his stat cast metrics are poor i would say there's nothing that like jumps out and at being like ah this is something i can latch onto and say he's gonna improve his batted ball quality and he also has a really high ground ball rate so a lot of adjustments that he's got to make there that's enough yellow flags for me that in this kind of zone of the draft uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna be a pass on him
1: Yeah, Verdugo, it's, it sucks because i i liked him going to boston getting everyday playing time he's got a, a pretty solid average a little bit of speed I think he's still developing his power, and yes, Boston's not a great place for that. But with his back injury that took him basically out at the beginning of August last year, the fact it's still a problem, and they're saying he probably won't be ready for Opening Day, is troublesome to say the least. And that's another they probably signed Kevin Pillar, so it's a nice, nice option out there to uh, for the for the Red Sox, but really struggles for uh, the fantasy world. Uh, Jock Jams great in a daily league because he's going to likely get platoon for the most part. So something to keep an eye on there which stinks because I think Jock's a great asset. And still, if you're in daily leagues, he's huge. He's gonna crush right-handed pitching. There's no no sugar coating that he's going to beast out on right-handed pitching. Uh Arista Aquino, it's it's tough. He he came on like a world beater, like you were saying, and then the last like month of the year it felt like he just disappeared. They they figured him out, and to say the least. So now it's his turn to make adjustments back, not saying he can't, but there's a lot of mouths to feed in that Reds outfield. And I'm not sure I want to be taking a pick on Aquino right here. I love Avi Aviso Garcia. I've always been a big fan. He has, um, you know, twenty homer, ten plus steal upside because he can run a lot better than people think. Hits for a good average. The points you made about Miller Park are tremendous for him. He he can really thrive there. I'm curious about the platoon situation because Braun and um, oh, why am I skipping Smoke are going to platoon at first base, but Braun's also going to platoon in the outfield with Garcia, so. I'm wondering if Abby gets like three-quarters of the playing time. It's not as much a 50-50. And so he still gets, you know, say 500-something at-bats. That can be strong for Abigail Garcia. He isn't going to be the everyday guy, though, like you said. So we got to keep an eye on that. But at this point in the draft, I think he does bring you some nice return on investment. And then Adam Eaton, like you said, he's like that guy that people just look at and go, yeah, he's boring. He's not fun. But uh, he's he's very, very good because he's going to give you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, actually more than a little bit of speed. He's going to score runs. He's going to help you in pretty much, I'd say, four to four-and-a-half categories because he's not going to drive in a ton of runs, but he's going to help you a lot of other places, and it's going to be really interesting. Uh, Some reports came out since the last time we recorded, Toby, and I just want to get your quick thoughts on this. The uh, Davey Martinez has some ideas for that Nats lineup, and the projections are showing now. This is kind of what he talked about. They're going to have Victor Robles lead off, Adam Eaton second. Yes, yes. Adam Eaton second, Trey Turner third and Juan Soto fourth. So by your response, I'm pretty sure you agree with me on Victor Robles. How much does that like move him up for you? Cause him leading off runs stolen bases galore, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen like confirmation that that's, that's what they were going with. Well, I mean, it's not like I've official been... official,
1: but it's pretty much the rumors on the street right
2: now. Yeah. And I see that on roster resource, not that roster Resource is everything. Um, you know, I had no problem getting Robles, um, you know, in the, in the early part of the fourth round, you know, like around pick 50 or so. I don't mind him if the right guys are off the board already um, for me. So it kicks him up a, a, a good little deal um, there. I wonder if the projections have, um, have the projections updated with the increased plate appearances. Let's see. Uh, ATC let has that. him at 616.
1: That's got to be increased. have happened
2: at 17,
1: 17 and 32. Yes, please. Oh, I'll sign my. I'll that. Yep. Yeah. That's juicy. Yeah. Now, 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 now that makes me want to check my next part of the question. Oh, right? man. Oh, with man. Trey, with Trey Turner betting third, though, what does ATC project for stolen bases? They still have them at 20, runs. This Nats offense, my friend.
2: Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Well, yeah. And what's really interesting about Robust is I think what people are mostly afraid of is that batting average because mm-hmm. of the poor contact profile if you look across the board at the at projections though I mean the bat has him at two sixty five ATC has him at two sixty four and steamer has him at two sixty two so mm-hmm. again you know like it's possible that he does worse than that batting average has a lot of variance, but you know the projections seem to seem to seem to see uh, improvement in the batting average, which is what I think most people are concerned about. Um, and so, yeah, I really like him actually. I'm going to struggle a lot in drafts because I feel like the 50s are a really, there's some really interesting guys going. You got Robles there, you got Real Muto obviously. There's a couple back end pitchers, you know, Darvish is going around there, Morton's going around there. Uh, Syndergaard is moving up into that territory now that he's getting some, a little fire. Um, so that's going to be really – there's going to be a lot of interesting uh, things going on there in that fourth round in 15 drafts.
1: It seems like I might have been just one year early on Victor Robles because now everyone's on board because the kid is good. And, you know, the the, the improvements on batting average, I'm not sure if this is why they, they, they see improvement. But you have to imagine going from, like, the seventh and eighth spot to the leadoff spot, better pitches to hit, so on and so forth. He's going to get a lot more singles and whatnot to get on base and run. So you'd think. You would think. So – be interesting to see here. Yeah, he's going by pick 60 right now, as high as 30, 33rd, as low as 71. So it'll be real interesting to see where that keeps going with Victor Robles. We'll be talking about that, I think, for weeks to come because I, I'm really curious. If, if it is official, those main event drafts, he's going to go high. <laughs> he's going to go very high. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, 56 to 60, we've got Nick Senzel. Andrew McCutcheon was one of the guys I was talking about with everyday playing time. Justin Upton is back, but right behind him is Joe Adele. And then Luis Arias, who we talked about earlier this season at second base. There's some big names here if you missed out on some production. What are you seeing in this range?
2: Yeah, and, and um, before we head on to this group, just about Avisal, because I loved what you said, and it kind of triggered some thoughts for me not to spend too much time on Avisal Garcia. But one thing about him is when he is being uh, – when he does have an off night because he's being um, – platoon like he should get at least one at bat for the pitcher Mm -hmm. in lineups which is kind of nice but one thing that might be challenging is given that it's it's not really a righty lefty traditional split because he's he's splitting with Braun essentially in the outfield and Braun splitting with with smoke it may be a little harder to read when he may be in the lineup and when he might not be um, unless it's like a consistent like you know three out of every four games or something like So, um, just something that, that, that you kind of, in your explanation kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Um, so Addison Zell, McCutcheon, Upton, Arias, and Adele, you know, the clear guy in this spot for me is, is Upton. He's been a guy that I've been targeting a lot. Uh, you know, just last year, I think he went, he was what, probably a top 50 pick, top 80 pick, something like that. Um, just incredibly consistent throughout his career, obviously struggled, um, you know, last year with injury, but even though he struggled with injury. Um, he was still, you know, if you, if you pace out his 256 plate appearances, you know, you're still looking at, uh, I think it was something like 27 home runs, 90 RBI and 75 runs, right. Which is not nothing. It's the two fifteen batting average that you're more concerned about. But before that he had, you know, seven or eight consecutive seasons of 600 or more plate appearances. So he's not an injury prone guy. He's only 32. So he's not, you know, 35, 36, he's not pushing it. Still held the walk rate. So I think he's going to drive in a crap ton of runs. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that translates to in actual runs. <laughs> what crap it the is. next
1: stat cast metric, but, crap ton.
2: <laughs> but I mean, you know, Mike Trout with his 420 OBP. I think I've said this on a couple uh, podcasts before, but like 420 OBP for Trout, you got a probably 380 to 400 for Rendon. And then you got like a 350 to 370 for Otani. Um, and then you got Upton hitting behind that. Um, and I think, I think he's really going to feast. So I think he's going to drive in a, t- a ton of runs. You know, the batting average may be a little bit of a liability, but I think getting him here, uh, he could be a really, uh, really big um, contributing force for teams uh, this year. Um, other guys, I mean, we talked about Arias on the um, second base preview. I think I'm just not in on him, and I think other fantasy owners are kind of in the same boat. It's just hard to get a guy that's empty average with no power or speed um, in roto. That's just it's really hard to work with that. Um, and then Adele, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting projection that he has. It's a negative five dollar projection because it's only 360 plate appearances. But if you were to play the full season. Uh, the projection could look pretty nice right there. Um, Senzel is also interesting, but it's just, it's such a crowded situation there. And the injury history for him is a little bit of a concern, but, you know, only 476 plate appearances in that projection. And and if you could get full playing time, you're looking at close to 2020 guy there. And then McCutcheon finally... No, I watched a little bit of his batting practice. And again, I don't want to like overblow things, but I know they mentioned that he tweaked his left knee a little bit in one of his first batting um, first uh, batting practices. He did not look awesome, I didn't feel like. And I don't know whether I should judge that at all. But um, in a batting average league, he's not as good as OBP. Um, but still, I think, pretty solid uh, right here. So if I were to order them, it would be kind of Upton, McCutcheon, probably Senzel, Adele, Arias, but um, I'm probably, you know, Upton's probably the guy in this group that I'm really going
1: to be targeting. What about you? Yeah, we're pretty pretty similar on this one. Like uh, Senzel, I love the talent. It's just a question of can he stay healthy. It's crowded uh, in the outfield. There are, there are rumors that he might move to shortstop and help out there, and that would help a ton uh, for his playing time. But it's a tough gamble because as we're going to start talking about guys like Adele and some other players uh, in the future you can only afford so many gambles that aren't going to play all the time on your roster. So I like Sinzel a lot. If you're good with his upside or you want to take that gamble, sure. It's just – it's a tough one at this point in the draft because I do love Justin Upton. It's a guy you got 30-plus home run potential coming to your lineup. Going to drive in, like you said, a crap load of runs. I think that's uh, next to Exwell Bacon on the stat cast metric. It's very, sure. very accurate. Um, so I, I think he's going to just dominate that lineup. And the average like, – the projection is having about 240-ish. He's better than that. I know he had a bad year last year, but he's like a 260 guy, in my opinion. So it's still not a great average by any means, but he shouldn't crush you like he did last year. So I, I like to see him bounce back quite a bit. I love Kutch. I'm a big Kutch fan because I think you got 20 to 25 home runs. He's going to score a ton of runs leading off that Phillies lineup. A ton of runs there with all those big bats behind him. And he can even steal you, you know, five to ten bags. So I, I like where you what you can get from him at this point in the draft um I, I do like kutch quite a bit arise yeah he's good he's not going to fit your outfield at this point in time you're drafting him as a late second or middle infielder that's all you're doing with him and it, his, his draft price is going up a bit which, which makes it kind of kind of tough and then last but not least joe adele the kid's a stud i'm not one that usually drafts guys that haven't played in the bigs just not my thing he's very very good i don't think he's going to be a bad pro player just does he do it this year as he go, or he has to go flag Guerrero on us, and he takes forever to come up, and it's kind of underwhelming. At least you're not drafting him where you have to draft Vlad. That's good. But it's tough to see. Like You have to watch camp really closely because I know they want to use him, but it's a matter of when and how. So it's a good pick. Risky as all get-up, but he, he's, a, he's a good ball player. But I'm with you. It's like McCutcheon and Upton are the two guys I want in this range, and then you kind of can pick, mix, and match from then on out. All right. After Joe Adele and Arias at 61, you got Austin Hayes, 62, Brian Anderson, 63, Nomar Mazar, 64, John Birdie, 65, Hunter, Renfro. Um, this is a range where one you, you got a couple of your boys right here, Toby.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, this is uh this is kind of a it's an interesting grouping for sure. I mean, my top guy out of this group is definitely Brian Anderson. Um, I think we talked about him in the third base uh preview as well, but He's a guy, he's $10 right right here where he's going. I know he is pushing up drafts, but he's easily got everyday playing time in that Marlins lineup. While the Marlins lineup is bad, and it will continue to be bad, it's not going to be quite as bad as last year. They moved in uh, the fences, which I think should help Anderson a little bit from a power potential. And I think when you look at a lot of the underlying metrics, like he's just been kind of slowly putting it together um, from my perspective. Um, You know, he's got a really nice max exit below at at 114. Um, His barrel rate is decent at six per plate appearance. His exit below at around 90 miles per hour hour is solid. Um, And, um, you know, improving uh, the expected Woba. Again, it's not predictive, but he had a little bump towards the end of the year. I think he just strikes me as a guy who's putting together and he has that higher ground ball rate, which I think he can... Um, if he can continue to lower, which he started to do this year, um, then I think there could be another level um, for him. So I really like him, and he's also going to contribute a little bit of speed, uh, solid batting average as well. So Anderson, I think, is head and shoulders for me above the other guys in this group. Uh, Hayes actually interests me quite a bit after seeing the projection, digging in a little bit, like there, there's you know, if you take that projection—twenty home runs, eight stolen bases, four-dollar player, right? Two fifty-two batting average. He's had higher batting averages throughout the minors, um, and the contact is is decent. Um, that's in four hundred ninety-one plate appearances. So, if you bring that up to six hundred plate appearances, I don't see why they wouldn't play him on the regular. Uh, the Orioles, that is. You know, you're you're looking at the potential for like a twenty-four, twenty-five, ten season. Uh, which is really, you know, which is really nice. Um, and it's not a great lineup, but he does play in Camden. So he's definitely interesting me a little bit more um, than he has before, just by kind of looking into the projection, looking at him a little bit. I was disappointed in the stat cast metrics. Um, there's nothing really to write home about for Hayes. You know, like there's just nothing that's super interesting in, in anything he's done from a stat cast perspective. Um, so that's a little bit of a bummer, but I I think just the volume, should definitely be there. Um, you know, Renfro 34 home runs and 554 plate appearances. I tweeted about him when he was traded. There was this really interesting period earlier this year where he seemed to put everything together where like the ground ball rate was low. He was hitting the ball, like bananas hard, like just unbelievably hard. And his contact rate was also improving at the same time as was his plate discipline. And then he got injured, and so I'm just wondering whether the Rays kind of saw that as as what his potential upside could be. Um, And if he hits that, it could be be something really, really nice. But again, what part of a platoon is he going to serve there? Uh, Mazzara, I'm just not that into. I just don't think he does anything special. I think he's going to bat towards the back end of that lineup. He can't hit lefties at all. He has a super high ground ball rate. And so I think at this point, he's just kind of living on his prospect pedigree. He is still super young. He's been around for a really long time, but you got to show something at some point. And I think we're beyond that with, with Mazzara and then birdie is kind of interesting. You know, he's not starting right now, but he's got a ton of different, he's like the backup at a ton of different spots. So there's any injuries or if they're rotating on a decent clip, you know, he could get four plus starts, you know, a week, which could be really intriguing. I mean, 20 stolen bases and 379 plate appearances in his projection without atrocious power, you know, like, He's got like twelve home run power, probably in a full, full six hundred plate appearances. So you know that's something that could be really interesting in deeper leagues, um, and also just like he plays so many positions, like I think third base, shortstop, and outfield. If you have him on your bench to kind of plug in to give you a little speed boost here and there, um, he could be he could be really interesting. So uh, we're definitely an interesting group. Um, you know, for me, Anderson, Hayes, uh,
1: Renfro, Birdie, Mazzara, probably. It's an interesting group and a group that I probably pass over more often than not, going between two forty and two fifty three or so. So it's kind of a, a, an odd grouping here. I like the upside with Austin Hayes. I've been starting to, to get more attracted to him as well. You know, in the short time he spent up in the bigs last year, the twenty to twenty five home run upside, there is a lot to like there. they should. There's no reason they shouldn't play him full go. They're they're talking about starting with the team opening day, so. If that's the case, he should be able to run, uh, get a lot of run running playing time out there. And if that is if, if that is the case, I do like Austin Hayes quite a bit. So I can go there at least quite a bit in this range. I think that the power upside he brings to the table, decent batting average in the minors. Hopefully that translates over. We'll see. But uh could be a nice play. Brian Anderson, nothing flashy, but like you keep saying, he gets it done in a lot of categories. So I got no problem with Brian Anderson. Uh, if you like him, go for it. No more Mazzara, he sucks me back in all the time because I know the power is ridiculous, but there's so many things that just say no. So it, it's really tough. Like, to me, he's still kind of a value here. Certain things look really good. Certain things don't. Great ballpark. But I think the biggest concern I have is really not everyday playing time with Mazzara. So he, if you're going to take him, no, there's risk involved. It's almost like I'd rather take a risk on a, a Joe Adele or a Dixon Zell. But Mazzara... If you're looking, if you're like super short on power, you're looking for like a, you know, 90% upside type thing, a guy that can maybe get you to 30 homers if all things start clicking. No of your guy. Just very risky. Uh, birdie, you, you hit on him. Speed, just need to lock in some playing time. And then Hunter Renfro, man, if Tampa Bay would stop getting stinking outfielders, that would be outstanding. But uh, the power's legit. He's going to be really good. That AL East has a lot of lefties in it. So keep that in mind. But it's hard for me to jump on that, just not knowing the playing time situation there. So this this area really gets me. Like, you know, Anderson's probably the best here, like you said, and like Hayes second, but a lot of playing time questions, and it makes it very tough to jump on board. Sixty six to seventy. You got AJ Pollock, Ryan Braun, Mark Kana, Shogo Akiyama, and Shensu Chu. I like this range a lot better than the previous five. What are you seeing here? Yeah,
2: I just think Ryan Braun is awful. He's terrible. Nobody's <laughs> ever him. Just kidding, Bubba. I would uh, never say that about your guy. Who um, I, well, I actually, Braun. I actually owned a ton of Brian, Ryan Braun last year as well. Uh, yeah, she, no, she, this is definitely an interesting, an interesting group um, for sure. Like, there's a lot of guys that I well, not a lot of guys necessarily, but I have a lot of Con, uh, Mark Kana. Uh, if you look at you know what he was able to do when he got regular at-bats with uh, the A's, I think he's going to be in there every single day. He does not have platoon splits. Um, he makes a ton of contact, really good plate discipline. He's really good in OBP leagues, hits the ball really hard, um, was just really good in the second half last year from a batted ball quality perspective. And so going right here in that lineup, I just really like him a lot. Um, if you're chasing after home runs or even counting stats, I think he's a really nice option um, right here. Um, Shinsu Chu is a guy every year, doesn't matter what he does, he's always going in this range. And he's always a guy that I'm going to target in some capacity. You know, he gets uh, platooned a little bit in the, in the Rangers lineup now against lefties. But you know he is not going to hurt you too much in batting average, power, speed combo. He stole fifteen bases last year, just kind of out of nowhere. Just a smart uh, stolen base guy, more runs than RBI. But you know I have his projection down for seven dollars, which is which is second in this group to uh, to Ryan Braun, your boy. Mm. Yeah, um, and yeah. only four hundred seventy-two plate appearances. You know ATC has him at twenty-one home runs, nine stolen bases, with a positive batting average at two seventy-one. So you know, and, and obviously with Braun, it's like, we're all just waiting for him to, um, just, you know, disintegrate or something, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, he gets up there and you're like, man, this guy's just like, he's hobbling around, but still manages to steal bases, still just a really, really good hitter and continues to fall. I'm actually a little disappointed in myself. I don't think I have any Braun shares, um, right now just because of the platoon situation. I don't know whether he loses like, you know, a game a week compared to previous seasons, but um, you know again like just a really uh, really solid hitter uh, great overall Akiyama I think is really interesting they don't have I don't have a Nothing projection for him. stinks yeah I know um, I've seen some projections though on Twitter which are really nice looks like a high OBP guy decent batting average maybe like a 1510 guy home run stolen bases but should get a decent amount of run as the leadoff hitter for the Reds and I think that's really nice I think a lot of times especially going in this range. Like, I think this is, you're starting to hit the part in drafts where there's a lot of like $1 players. Like the guys you're getting are fairly close to, you know, who the guys, what guys would contribute if you're like streaming them based on matchups. And so taking a risk on a guy like Akiyama, especially right here, I don't mind at all. The guy that I like the least of this group is, is Pollock. Um, you know, I just think there's going to be a, there's a lot more with bets coming over. And Jock not moving out. There's just so much competition for plate appearances in that outfield, and with Betts moving in there and kind of being locked in, and then Bellinger being in there and being kind of locked in. Um, you know, he's kind of short side of the platoon material right now. He's obviously been good in the past, but the injuries are always a concern. Um, just not a huge fan because he's a, he's one of the types of guys that I feel like you'll draft, and then you'll just have like two weeks into the season, you'll be like, I. I I kind of need to drop him because I can't play him because he's short side of the platoon. He's not getting enough plate appearances. He's only outfield. You know, if you're in an, N- an NFBC league with like seven spots, it's just really hard to hold on to a guy like that. Um, I think um, who's just he leaves a lot of questions about playing time. So I agree with you. Really nice group of players right here. Uh, they can meet some different needs with Braun and Chu as kind of the power speed guys. Kanye, the best overall. Akiyama. Uh, more kind of speed and uh, and on base and runs, but really nice group right here. What do you, who are your favorites in this, in this group, other than Ryan Braun?
1: <laughs> I just realized I drafted three of these five guys in barf. So that's oh, wow. pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but when you uh, gambled the way I did, it worked out, but I think there's a lot of OBP to be had here. Ryan Braun speaks for himself. He's a legend, future Hall of Fame. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. But he, he produces just consistently, you know, like decent power, steals you around 10 bags. I agree they probably are going to limit him a little more this year. That's why they brought in the players they did. They want to move him to first base so he's not running around the outfield a lot. I still think they want to play him five to six games a week if they play, say, there's a seven-game week. So it's not like he's going to get cut out of everything, but they are going to limit him. There's no there's no sugarcoating that. But I still think he's a very good player at this point because he gives you a little bit of everything in all categories. And similar to your Avasil comment, he's going to pinch hit most games. Um, so he's going to get his playing time. I'm not too worried about that. It just might not be the 650 at-bats you know, we've seen in the past. Might be more like 550 to 600. So keep that in mind with Brom. He's still very solid at-bats. AJ Pollock, I know the potential is always there. I don't care. I'm just, I can't do it. Between playing time the injuries, I can't do it. He might win someone a lot of leagues, but uh, he won't be on my team. So not going there. Love Mark Connor. I think the power is legit. So sort of the projections 26 homers last year. The bat and depth charts have 26. Steamer 25. ATC only 22. But uh, big time OBP guy is going to help you in four categories. So I, I like Connor a lot. Shinsu Chu, it's just kind of that. He's kind of an Adam Eaton type guy that gets forgotten a lot. Mm. But he's got 21 or more homers in three straight years, 12 or more steals in two out of three years. He's played in 146 or more games in three straight years. He's hit you 261, 264, 265. That's pretty darn consistent. And he's an OBP god, 357, 377, 371. He does a little bit of everything. He's scored over uh, 93 runs in two out of the last three years. Very, very good. He's helping you in all categories. At this point in the draft, it's hard to find. So I'm a Shin Chu fan. At this point, I pick 70. I think there's a ton to like in that scenario. And then Shogi Akiyama, Shogo Akiyama, the biggest question I have is playing time because of all the guys. I'm imagining they assigned him to play every day. But you never know. With the slew of players they have there, the comparisons I've seen, like you've seen a bunch of stuff, is he's kind of a Tzu Chu type. He's a good on-base guy, leading off, going to score some runs, a little bit of pop. I like him, but I'd rather just take Shinshu Chu. That's me. But uh, both very, very intriguing options. I,
2: I love the, the Eaton comp for Shogo Akiyama.
1: That's a really good one. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities there. So yeah. we'll see how it plays out, though. We shall see. Pick seventy to seventy-one to seventy-five in the outfield. David Peralta, Sam Hilliard, who could be sneaky interesting. Randall Gritchick, uh poor Will Myers, and Austin Riley. So this is quite the five. Some like real big questions to be had here. What do you think on these five? Absolutely, this is a fascinating group right here. I
2: think, um, and and and. Uh, I would venture to guess that that a player that's in this group is going to, um, you know, do a lot better is going to earn a lot of value for some of their owners. The question is, which one? I mean, you mentioned Hilliard being interesting. He's a guy that I'm targeting a lot of shallower drafts, like my 12 team drafts, just as like an upside play. If he does get even the strong side of the platoon in the Rockies. Uh, the projection is pretty nice, um, but when you look at the Statcast data, he's one of the Statcast guys. I mean, he's 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 solid uh, other places as well. But like Statcast data, eight percent barrels per plate appearance, very very nice. Um, Ninety six mile per hour line drive fly ball um, exit below, which you know according to uh, Alex Chamberlain's update on Statcast correlations year to year, that is the stickiest of all Statcast batted ball uh, power metrics 114 max exit below and then 93rd percentile in terms of sprint speed. So you're looking at a guy, um, you know, again, like just taking his projection, if you, it's for 337 plate appearances, 14 home runs, eight stolen bases, you know, you nearly double that. You're looking at a guy who uh, could hit 25, 15, um, you know, in cores. uh, I think that's a really, he's a really nice guy to take a pick at um, right here. Randall Grichuk is always underappreciated and always just a lock for like 30 home runs. Um, he is a guy that I will probably get in a lot of drafts, just because I'm oftentimes chasing power, and he's a guy who has it. I mean, 29 home runs projected in 565 plate appearances. Like, uh, I think it was Rob Silver who had a tweet earlier like, like, who's, who's not projecting Grichuk to get everyday plate appearances in that Jays lineup? Like, that's what he is. he is. He's going to be in the lineup every single day, and that power could be really great. One thing I think that's interesting about Grichuk, I, um, I really liked him heading into the second half last year. He was, like, kind of one of my guys, like, middle of the year. I said, should have a nice second half. I think he did okay with his second half. I should, should have looked at this ahead of time. Um, yeah, he had 16 home runs and 260 at-bats or in 274 plate appearances, sorry, 42 RBI, 34 runs, so in only 274 plate appearances right there. Um, he's interesting because in previous years, he's had off-the-charts stat cast data, like barrel rates, among the league leaders. Last year, he didn't, even though like he improved his contact. Um, he improved his, um, uh, let's see, his contact. Yeah, his contact was up 4% last year, um, and we didn't really see a dip in the K rate at all. So that was a little bit interesting to me. I think there could be some positive regression coming there. Um, but if, if that StatCast, uh, power returns, I think it could be, um, really, really nice, uh, for Grichuk. He's definitely a guy that I would be targeting a bunch. Peralta is kind of an empty batting average guy. I don't know. Empty might not be, it might not be nice enough because he is going to be bat- batting in the middle of that order. And I think. You know, uh, batting average is, is really nice here. He's a $7 player going in this round. So that's a, that's a really nice value. Will Myers, I know everybody's into Franchi Cordero, but I think we were talking with Sammy in our drafts. Like, you know, Will Myers is still there. He's still got a hefty contract. He's played center field before. Um, he was much better in the second half last year. And so if he can find his way into full-time plate appearances, he should be really, really good. I think he's still more the 250 batting average guy than what we saw last year when he really struggled. And then Riley, like, you know, Riley, even Riley's projection is is fine, you know, like for a $1 player, you're taking a shot at him. I know Johan Camargo has the starting spot uh, right now, according to, you know, spring training reports that I've seen. Um, So Riley may start out at AAA, but he could be a guy who starts out at AAA, everybody drops him, and then when he comes back up, He may not garner as much fab interest as he did last year, of course. And so he might be a little bit of a sneaky guy to just kind of monitor if he's in the minors because the power is legit. We saw that uh, last year. So just a really interesting dynamic group. I think right here, I really, really like it. This is one of the reasons why I always say like, I want to start with infield is just because I feel like in outfield, there's kind of like, like in a lot of these groups we've talked about, there's different guys who can really meet the needs of different fantasy teams, whether it's speed, you know, whether it's power, whether it's taking like ceiling because you've already gotten floor or getting somebody consistent, like a Gritchek or a Peralta in this spot. Like there's just a lot of, um, there's just a lot, I think in in outfield this year. And I think there's going to be a number of guys from the the folks we cover in this pod that, kind of jump out and I think there's gonna be at least one guy that jumps out from the seventy one to seventy five
1: uh ranked outfielders. I a hundred percent agree with you. I think this is a really big upside group. I like David Peralta as probably not the most upside, but just the most like solid platform like portfolio. Like yes he was hurt last year, but previous two seasons 140, 146 games, 14 homers and 30 homers, but his runs in RBIs have always been pretty good. Good batting average guy. He should help you in three to four categories at this late in the draft, I think that's a really good play. He's going to be in the middle of that Diamondbacks lineup. That's going to be good. Uh, so I I, I I am a David Peralta fan. I think he, there's a lot to like at that point in the draft. Uh, Sam Hilliard, I'm a big fan of. Just like you said, you're tra- you're targeting him a lot. Uh, I know he was. we talked about him as a big um, fab acquisition last year. Because this dude runs in the minors, 12, 30, 37, 23. And then last year, minors and bigs combined, 24 stolen bases. So 23 or more steals in four straight seasons. And that 12 stolen base year was in 60 games. So the dude runs like crazy, hits for a pretty good average. Um, he even had a ton of power in recent years. Like if he just plays a full season, a full season, there's legit twenty twenty upside at this point in the draft, which is a lot to ask for the Rockies to actually play a talented player a full season when right. he's younger than like 25 years old. That is difficult for them to, to wrap their head around. But this guy is that good, like really is that good. So, if he gets the, the 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 nod here, he's going to be extreme value at this point in the draft. So, I love uh, taking some chances on Sam Hilliard. Randall Gritchick, like you said, I think I wrote about him before last draft season. The yeah. dude just mashes. Like you said, 30-plus homers. The average sucks. The average has really never been that good. But runs, RBIs, home runs, at this point in the draft, he's going to crush it. It is weird looking at his stat-cast metrics. How everything dropped last year in a season where the ball was the bouncier than ever. So, it it was real kind of – kind of have to scratch your head a little bit, and hopefully it's just one of those seasons and see where it goes from there. 100% with you there. Uh, Will Myers, better play every day, even though they're saying he's going to platoon. I have no idea. But if he plays every day, he's worth the value. But I'd rather gamble you know, like on Gritch Hilliard and Peralta. And then Austin Riley, good ball player. I'm just not messing with that right now. He probably outperforms this price tag, but he's he's not there for me. So – uh, my favorite guy here is, is Hilliard, but then uh, Peralta, pretty safe. Grichik, If you need all the power, go get yourself a Randall Grichik for sure. All right, seventy six to eighty. We got Nico Goodrum, Peraza, Mitch Haniger, Dylan Carlson, Cole Calhoun. We're getting to the doldrums here, Toby. What do you see in here? We're going we're going deep, Bubba. I don't know. I don't know who yeah. would draft Nico Goodrum super early in a
2: draft. Yeah. Uh, especially you know, there's no reason that. to do that. I don't, know, I don't know who would do that when their buddy, their podcast crazy. Co, co-host is uh <laughs> looking for a second baseman to uh fill in a massive gap in their barf roster. I don't know who would do that. Do you Bubba? No idea. Not, no, it's I'm crazy. Crazy talk bitter. only. I'm not bitter at all. I don't know what you're talking about. He's on, He's, on, um, he, he's he can trade for him if you want. That's true. It is a trading league. Um <laughs> Yeah. I mean, in this group, um, Goodrum kind of stands out to me as the guy that I really want in this group. I think there's a couple things that are wonderful about Goodrum. Number one, a little bit of a power speed, 17 home runs, 15 stolen bases, and his 550 projected plate appearances isn't going to crush you in batting average. He should play every single day um, for the Tigers. Um, He's just, he's one of their better hitters, which is kind of sad to say, but he, he is. And I do think there's the possibility that he's he's a guy who could take the next step and be kind of a 2020 guy. He's also got uh, – is he just shortstop and outfield eligibility right now? I should know this.
1: I got um, it right here. He's no, a second-base second shortstop second, and
2: first. Yeah, he's got second-base yeah. shortstop outfield eligibility. So, you know, if you're looking at maybe having to start off the season like you know, a lot of times what I like to do is kind of get a ton of starting pitchers to start off the season, like speculate on some guys that maybe, you know, something stood out in spring training or something stood out towards the end of last year, kind of see how the first few starts go for them. Um, And then if you need, if you need to be able to fill the other positions, like Goodrum is a really nice guy to have because he can cover second, he can cover short, he can cover outfield, he can cover middle infield positions. And then if you can get a guy, you know, maybe has first third eligibility or one of the corner positions, then you're pretty well covered, you know, early on in the season, you know, in case there are any injuries or unexpected, you know, demotions that happen midweek in like an NFBC league. So really like him for that reason, but really the power and speed is what intrigues me and the path to playing time is there. Um, So for that reason, I think Goodrum is, is a really interesting guy, especially going this late. I mean, his ADP is around 284. I think so pretty late in drafts filling out maybe that in middle infield slot, and, you know, maybe the bench, depending on what you got. I think he provides a lot outside of that, not a ton of interest for me in this group. I mean, Haniger is always injured and just has never been able to put together a full quality season. He's already not going to be ready for opening day. Mariners lineup is going to be atrocious. There's just too many things going against him there. Calhoun, you know, moving out of the out of uh, uh, Anaheim, and you know, I don't, I think he's going to get platooned against lefties, which he didn't, you know, last year. So that's going to lose him some plate appearances. He's really a power only, you know, power plus counting stats, but the counting stats are heavily reliant on him getting the plate appearances. And I just think that that outfield is pretty deep in Arizona. So if they, you know, if he doesn't produce right off the bat, I could see them you know, kind of moving off of him pretty quickly. Uh, Dylan Carlson is definitely interesting. Even the projection, 290 plate appearances, you know, nine home runs, six stolen bases. So you're looking at, you know, 2012 uh, for 600 plate appearances, you know, close to 80-70. So that's nice. And, you know, there's always that one prospect who pops. I don't know if it's going to be him or not. Sounds like the Cardinals are going to give everybody else the opportunity to win that job before he does. But he was really good last year in as one of the youngest players in Double A, uh, so that that is always a really good sign. And then Peraza, it was a lot more interesting when it looked like he might get that um, uh, the second base job. Um, but I, you know, they now that they've signed Mitch Moreland and with Chavez probably moving over to second, I just don't see the plate appearances for Peraza. so he becomes a little bit. More challenging, uh, he's kind of an only in in deeper kind of draft and hold formats for me. So, uh, somewhat boring to me group right here, led by Goodrum. I think Carlson's kind of the wild card in terms of, um,
1: you know, a guy who could produce a lot or not produce at all this year. Yeah, I don't really have a, a ton more to add there because this region is not a fun one for me. I got like, earlier, I had a region of five that. I wasn't in love with Nico Goodrum. I do like obviously with the the power speed combo, the multi-position eligibility going to be hitting in a nice spot in a better Detroit lineup, not great, but better Detroit lineup. So I do like Nico Goodrum here. If you're looking for late steals and a little bit of power, Nico is your guy and that flexibility is clutch. Uh, Peraza, if he was guaranteed leadoff time and guaranteed the full-time job, I'd think about it, but too many moving parts there. Mitch Hanniger being hurt stinks because the talent is legit, but the fact that he's still battling the injury scares the snot out of me. So until like I get a full bill of health on that boy, I will not be touching him. Dylan Carlson's awesome. Don't know where he's going to play besides AAA unless something really changes drastically in St. Louis. And then Cole Calhoun, like he had a monster year last year, hit a career high thirty-three home runs, I believe. And he just his statcast metrics suck. He he totally took advantage of the bouncy ball. Going to Arizona is interesting. Not saying he can't be good, but I don't really want to pay the price for him to uh, to hope he's good again. When there's some guys going after him, I'd rather gamble like a Corey Dickerson or someone along those lines. So I'm with you. Nico Goodrum or Bust in this range is pretty much where I'm looking at on this one. 81 to 85, got Gregory Polanco. Maybe one of these years he figures it out and stays healthy. Brandon Nimmo, Corey Dickerson, Trent Grisham, Kevin Kiermaier. A range I like a lot more than the previous five. What say you, Toby?
2: Yeah, I agree. There's some guys in here that definitely provide um, a lot. Like if you missed out on a Brian Reynolds from earlier that we talked about, I think Corey Dickerson is a really nice kind of similar guy, you know, really focused on batting average, not going to hurt you on power. You know, he's with the Marlins, so the counting stats won't be great. But again, pretty solid uh, $4 player right here. The guy that I've been targeting in a lot of drafts uh, is Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, just because of the speed, like the thing that I like about Kiermaier is, I think they're they'll play like a pretty strict platoon with him. Now that they have Margot, I actually think one thing that's kind of interesting. I did this in a draft champions league is to get Kiermaier and Margot. And if you, you know, again, like if you have seven spots on your bench, I don't think it's necessarily worth it. But if you just rotate in and out Kiermaier and Margot. Um, You know, I think you could net yourself, you know, 20 to 25 stolen bases out of that position, Um, maybe, you know, 20 home runs out of that spot as well. The batting average is not going to be terrific, but, you know, that could be kind of an interesting way to balance out the platoon piece. But if you're, if you're looking for stolen bases, you need those. I think Kiermaier is nice because, you know, he's going to steal bases. He's going to have a decent amount of power. The average is probably going to hurt you a lot. Um, But like at this point in the draft, pretty much everybody's average is hurting you. And so if you need stolen bases, getting him pretty late, I think is nice um, right here. Uh, So I like him a lot. Uh, Polanco is a guy who this is exactly the time you want to be buying Gregory Polanco. You know, not when he costs you a lot, but when everybody's just kind of like tired of the injuries and he's a 2010 guy, if he can stay healthy, you know, and hit hit the 500 plate appearance mark, you know, and the, the pirates won't be good, but he will have a plat path to playing time there and he will get plenty of plate appearances if he is healthy. And so for that reason, like, I mean, that roster resource has not batting in the cleanup spot right now. So I think there's a lot of reasons to like him as kind of a late uh, dart throw. Uh, Nimmo is, is more interesting in OBP leagues just because he doesn't really steal and the batting average isn't great. He could be a nice source of runs, but I don't think that's enough to make him that interesting for me. Um, Grisham is maybe a little interesting. I really think it's a it's a massive downgrade um, in Park just because left-handed power plays very, very badly in San Diego. Right? Right-handed power isn't all that bad. Left-handed power is really tough, so he loses that. Um, you know, there's definitely some interesting stuff going on with the plate skills, really good plate discipline, really high contact, but the batted ball quality just has not been there, um, to show that he can kind of take the next step. So all in all, a fairly interesting group. Again, like there's guys that meet different needs, you know, like if you need speed, you got Kiermaier. If you need batting average, you have Dickerson, if you need a little power speed combo. You got Polanco. So once again, a really nice uh, five, group of five here going very late in drafts that provide quite a bit of upside, I think.
1: Yeah, Kevin Kiermaier is very intriguing because if he can play every day, which is a big if for Kiermaier between health and platoon, he's a, a massive power speed combo. So I, I don't mind that gamble at all at this point in the draft, you know, going you know 85th outfielder off the board. Our 84th now pick 320. That's, that's some pretty sweet value there. So I do, I do like the Kevin Kiermaier comments, just a matter of playing time and health, which is a question with most guys at this point in the draft. Uh, C. Dick, Corey Dickerson, love him for batting average. A little bit of power upside. Should play pretty much every day with Miami. I don't see a lot of guys staying out of his way. Might run into 20-plus home runs for you. So he's, he's a very nice batting average, a little bit of power upside as well. Brandon Nimmo is team OBP. That's where he's at. The neck injury scares the snot out of me, but he uh, is an on-base machine monster and uh, maybe runs into a little bit of thump as well. So interesting play, risky with that neck injury. That just scares me. The fact he has to manage that going forward is not ideal. Uh, Gregory Polanco, I like how you said it's, you know, if you're going to buy him, you buy him now because it's the cheapest he's ever been. And he's that cheap for a reason. I'm not going to hide that part. But, man, the potential that we've seen from him between speed and power you know not the greatest of average but what he can do and what he has done have been two different things but most projection sites have him close to 2010 and if he can pull that off and i think that's like a floor for him if he plays as many games as we're hoping the upside is definitely there so if you want to take a gamble on a gregory Polanco this late slate in your draft i got no problem with it at all i think there's a ton of upside there like you said this is the time to buy him if you want to take the risk and then trent grisham is a guy that's intriguing, especially if we get a, a word of more playing time. Because in the minors last year, he combined for uh, 32 home runs between three levels of baseball, most he's ever had, But and the bouncy ball, of course. But one thing he's also done in the, in the minors is run a ton. So if he can run into, like say, 15 homers but still still you 15-plus bases, I think there's something to be said about that at this point in the draft. But playing time will be the main thing with Trent Grisham, so something to keep an eye on in his case. All right, the last five we have here, 86 to 90. We got Yaz, Mike Jastrzemski, Domingo, Santana, Brett Gardner, Ian Happ, and David Fletcher. Interesting, interesting, interesting. What say you, Toby?
2: Yeah, uh, it is an interesting group. Um, Obviously, Santana is going to, I think, skyrocket up draft boards uh, after signing with Cleveland. I think our... um, Our draft ADPs are from February 1st, and so, you know, that's not going to account for him. I'd be interested to see actually where his min... He's gone as high
1: as 202, so he's he's jumping. My 202,
2: okay. Um, Yeah, so I expect him to move up uh, a good chunk, which isn't a bad news, I think, because I think there's a lot of similar profiles to, you know, to him in uh, other places, like deeper in the draft. One guy I really like this year, and I know he's kind of a trendy pick at this juncture, um, is Ian Happ. Um, I think Ian Happ, if he can get a- a playing time, could be, could be massive. Um, he has a little bit of speed. We know that. He hits the ball really, really hard. It's just a matter of uh, hitting the ball enough. And last year he made some really incredible gains in that uh, department. So his contact rate was up uh, 8% last year. Um, His in-zone contact rate was up 12% from the previous year. If you compare it to his career average, 7% higher than his career average in-zone and 5% higher overall. So he's making more contact. Throughout his career, he has had pretty strong plate discipline. It wasn't as good last year. Um, but you know, we know he's got power speed. ATC has him at 18 and six in 411. I think this, this speed, you know, so you're looking at like a 25, 10 guy, potentially like close to that. I think there's definite upside on that as well, especially if you can get his confidence. Um, and then when you look at his stack cast metrics, it is all very nice, you know, 9% barrel rates. Um, for, per plate appearance, which is really nice. Again, only 102 batted balls, but 9% is really good. He hits the ball really hard in the air, 95.5 uh, mm-hmm. miles per hour. His max exit below is around 113. His overall uh, exit velocity is around 89. Um, so not great in that particular realm, but I think there's a lot to like where he's going in this draft, particularly with the Cubs. They have some uh, some questions in the outfield just overall. And I think right now he looks like he could be their, um, their center fielder, their starting center fielder. And so if he gets the bulk of, of playing time there, if he can make his way into 500 plate appearances, I think he's going to help a lot of teams and he could be, he's the type of guy that has the upside uh, that, that could make him a league winner. Um, I also think he's going to shoot up drafts as we get closer to draft season just because the upside is really nice right now his min pick is around 244 anticipate he'll probably going be going you know around there pretty regularly when drafts start hitting because people are going to be chasing upside at this point uh, in drafts uh is also pretty interesting also a really nice decent statcast guy um he he was just like he just kind of came out of nowhere you know and and I know um you know, you, you're you a Giants fan, so you got to watch him. So I won't cover him too much. But all across the board, like, he was pretty pretty solid, you know, from contact, plate discipline, hard hit rate. Hits a ton of balls in the air. So a lot to like there as well. Same with Gardner. Power, power speed a little bit. Was lucky last year with the home run total. But still, you know, 16-10 in 502 plate appearances. That ain't nothing. And he's going to be in that Yankees lineup. So the runs will be plentiful when he is in the lineup and he still knows how to get on base Fletcher kind of falls into the Luis Arias camp where he's just not quite you know the batting average just isn't enough to warrant um, you know rostering him at this point in time which is unfortunate because he's a scrappy little uh, player Uh, I also am not sure exactly where he's going to line up you know he may be weak side of the platoon kind of utility guy but you got Simmons at shortstop, Lestella at second base, so maybe against lefties, he's in at second base. Third base, you have Rendon now, so no spot right there. He's not going to play first base for you, so maybe a little bit of outfield potentially, but he's kind of the utility guy. I don't think he does enough or um, you know, will have enough access to plate appearances to do enough to warrant being drafted. At this point in time, he's a little bit of a handy guy and Draft and holds, I haven't gotten him yet, but he does play every single position outside of first base um, and catcher, which is really helpful to have just to plug, plug and play. So definitely a really, again, like this late in draft, there's still a number of guys here. I mean, I'd love to have Santana, Happ, uh, even Gardner as kind of my final outfielders um, or on my bench. Uh, I wouldn't mind having those guys there.
1: I think Ian Happ is a very, very fun... Like you said, his stack-ass metrics are crazy good. 13.7% barrel last year. Um, You know, Hard hit rate of 39%. He was 41 the year before. I love how his strikeout rate dropped from 36 to 25 last season. Walk rate dropped as well, but still 9.6%. It's pretty darn solid. Um, There's a lot to like with Ian Happ, and if he can get regular playing time, could be a big factor in that Cubs lineup and on fantasy teams. So... I do like taking a gamble on Hap at this point in the draft. I like There is a definite upside in that one. Uh, Yastrimsky, strangely has 20, uh, 20 home run upside. He doesn't do a lot else just because the Giants' offense stinks. But at this point in the draft, he's going to you know give you a little bit of everything in, in runs and RBIs. I'm not saying don't take him, but there's people that are really, really excited about him. And as a Giants fan, they're going to stink again this year. So just... I I, I I can't remember what pod it was on recently. I said, go ahead and take their, uh, their pitching because you get them super late and you can stream them. The bats is another question mark. So uh, be careful there. Uh, Domingo Santana is going to skyrocket, like you said. People are going to jump on that one. The helium will come. Uh, the power is legit as all get up, so I can't knock that one. Brett Gardner is just a quiet, forgotten man. You know, Aaron Hicks is really, really banged up. You know, what his overall production will be this year. You got Mike Talkman, who we love, but uh, we haven't seen him do it for a full year. You he, he got um, Gardner projected to hit fifth or sixth right now in this Yankees lineup. He can get you 15 and 10, 15 and 15. To be able to get double-digit homers and steals combos at this point, your draft is like sneaky nice. So in deep league, if you have five outfielders. Brett Gardner shouldn't be overlooked. It's nothing flashy. Uh, he's an older guy, but he keeps getting it done. So I like him quite a bit. Uh, David Fletcher, is, he hits the ball really, really hard. Looks like he'd be super productive. It hasn't put it all together, and doesn't have a, a, a specific spot in the lineup or on the field right now. So it's tough to really get an idea of what he's going to do. So for me in this area, you know, I like Hap and I like Gardner quite a bit. Santana's gonna mash the baseball a ton. So keep an eye on him as well. He could uh, bring you a nice, nice return if he can stay healthy in Cleveland. But fun, fun range at this point in the draft to say the least. All right. We're going to go three post 90 ADP targets. Who do you got?
2: Well, my number one target is, uh, or my number one post 90 is just a guy I absolutely love this year. He costs nothing and he is just, I think he's fantastic. And that is Jacoby Jones. Uh, He's going to bat lead off. He's going to play every single day for the Tigers. He made some incredible adjustments last year at the plate, which started to show, um, you know, started to bear some fruit. He was on pace for a 2010 season um, and he got injured. And so for that reason, he, you know, he just wasn't able to kind of fulfill some of the promise that was there in the skills, but his contact rate just surged. I mean, uh, his in zone over his last 40 games was at uh, 91%. Um, his, his three-year average is around 83.7%. So about an 8% increase, um, in in-zone contact rate over those last 40 games, his plate discipline improved dramatically as well, slightly better than league average over the last 40 games. It had been around 35%, so about 5% worse than league average. So a 6% improvement there, um, and lowest of his career, the hard hit rate surged as well, up to 45% over his last 40 games. His ground ball rate was down um, under 40% over the same um, time period. And then you look at the quality of contact, right? 7.8% barrels per plate appearance over those last 40, which is really, really nice. His 600 plate appearance pace pre-injury was 21-13. Um, so that for a guy who's going late is really, really nice. The one concern is the batting average, but my hope would be that with the improvement in contact skills, the improvement in his plate discipline, and the improvement in the batted ball quality, that that also will not at least be a major hindrance. You know, um, he's, he's had some pretty uh, nasty batting averages, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so 214, 170, 207, 235 um so i think he can get to 250 or above that's a little bit of where the floor comes in for him or the ceiling comes in for him around batting average but i think he can be a 2010 guy and put up you know like 80 runs or so playing every day in the leadoff spot for the tigers and i think that is very valuable in deeper leagues. and so he is going to be a guy that i will be targeting um pretty late on and it has pissed me off to no end because i've tried to get super cute in a ton of my drafts with uh, i should he should be available like every, i should have him in every single dc i'm in but people have just been like people have just been jumping him like a bunch of spits of a bunch of spots which is kudos to them like i'm sitting here trying to oh he's going around pick like on average so his adp on average is like 556 right now um, but he was going around like 450, I think, more regularly, and i just been like, I've just been trying to wait a little bit, like wait one more round, get him well in advance of ADP, but not you know at ADP, and I've lost him a couple times to guys um who who clearly appreciate him more than me. So uh, hopefully, I will not let that happen in some of my bigger drafts uh, later on this year. But I love Jacoby Jones a lot um, this year. He's going to be on my bold predictions for sure.
1: Nice, Jacoby's a great pick. I I picked him up a couple times last year on Fab and, and rolled with him because he got that power speed combo. The stat track, stat catch metrics are so nice. So I like that a lot. Uh, mine's the 94th outfielder out the board the last couple with 344. Probably going to keep climbing up, and it's not pretty. Like you just don't even want to look at the name. But realize he's leading off, and you can get thirty plus steals at this point in the draft, and that's draw Dyson. Nice. Uh, if you're short on steals, I love draw Dyson. It gets, he gets thirty plus steals. I was doing this the other day. He's getting you thirty plus steals in recent years. In 130 games last year, he stole 16 in 2000. Right, is that the right one? Yeah, 16 in 2018 in just 67 games. He stole 28 in 111 games. He stole 30 in 107, 26 in 90, 36 and 120. 34 and 87, 30 and 102, the dude steals bases in bunches. So it's just, it's it's not great. His average will not be phenomenal. But even you look at, you know, ATC, has him projected to play 60 games. He's going to steal you 14 uh, 14 bases. Now let's say he plays 120 games. That's 28. Say he plays 140. We're talking like 36 to 40 stolen bases. That is pretty, pretty nice. Uh, The bat has him for 86 games and 24 steals. He's leading off for the Pirates. There are question marks. You know, they might not bat him lead off. They might decide to go to a minor leaguer. But for now, they signed him to play outfield every day and right now bat towards the top of the order. And if that's the case, draw Dyson. He's going to score you some runs, and he's going to steal a ton of bases. If you're looking for steals late, this is your guy. So not pretty, but uh, a great source of stolen bases. Yeah, that's a great
2: shot. He was a guy I was also considering um, adding. Uh, add, adding as a possible guy, so nice work.
1: You, uh, um, thank you. Who's your next guy?
2: My next guy, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the next guy is Teoscar Hernandez. Um, so there were some pretty dramatic changes in Teoscar Hernandez's profile um, last year. Uh, in his last 40 games. Again, like I use the 40 game rolling average just because it's about a quarter of a season. It's about 150 plate appearances, if not slightly more. And there's some uh, metrics that become more reliable at that point in time. But his O swing, so career, it's 30.7%. So right around league average, it was down at 26.2% over his last 40 games. So a really nice dip there into strong plate discipline. Uh, His contact rate was up um, 4% over his career average at 70.2%. So still much lower than you'd like it, but not the horrendous like 66% he's been throughout his career. His ground ball rate also went down from 38%, which is already nice down to 32.4%. So really, really nice um, movement right there. And then his hard hit rate went up 14% above what his career has been at 38.6%. It was 52.7% over his last 40. He also did not show splits during that time uh, against righties, which, you know, and, I, and I, as I understand it, he's going to be playing every day for the Blue Jays in that lineup. Um, and he is, um, uh, and, and it, it won't be a platoon situation as much as I understand it. His barrels per plate appearance over that time were 9.2%, which is very, very good. Um, his expected woba was around 350, so solid right there. He still strikes out a bunch over that period of time. He struck out about 38% of the time, but it doesn't jive with his um, uh, with both his 30.4% CSW, which is you know slightly worse than league average, but not atrocious, or his swinging strike rate or contract tact metrics. Like that's like a league leading terrible K rate and his metrics were not there. And so I would expect some positive regression there. So that is all to say, I'm, I think, you know, there may have been something that clicked with Teoscar towards of last year. And I am hoping to be able to find out whether that thing happened by drafting him a ton uh, towards the back end of drafts this year.
1: Yeah. I like Teoscar a lot. That was my number two. So I have, I, I don't have a ton more to add besides his, his StatCast page, I, I've been saying this since he got traded. I saw him in Fresno and AAA when he was the Astros and before he got traded to Toronto. The dude is just a hard-hitting machine. And as his StatCast metrics showed, even with like a down year technically last year, he's been so, so good overall. If he can cut down on the strikeouts, that would be tremendous. 38, 31, 33, the last three seasons. But his walk rate's increased every year. His hard hit rate's still great, like I said. If he can, you know, reduce those strikeouts a bit and keep that fly ball rate uh, up, which he has the last few years, he pulls the ball hard a ton. Um, he, he's a great option there. And one thing that people like you mentioned is he's going to get it every day at bats, and he's been at pick three forty six right now in a very potent lineup at a very potent ballpark. So I like Tiosker a lot. I'm with you 100 percent there. He was my number two as well. Who's your three? Oh, wow. He was
2: your number two. Holy moly. Yes, I like you, we are we are both brilliant. I just want to say how smart <laughs> you are and amazing <laughs> at making these picks you are, Bubba. Um, so next up is a guy. I wasn't sure whether to include him, but I'm going to include him, and that's Derek Fisher. Uh, there are major issues. There are major contact issues. There are major strikeout issues. There is no doubt about that. But I think there is some reason for hope. He's kind of like a way, just shot in the dark. Like, the Blue Jays gave up a decent amount to get him, and so I think he they will give him a shot on the strong side of the platoon um, in that outfield. Um, And so I think he will get plate appearances. There'll be low-stress plate appearances towards the back end of that lineup. Um, But... Uh, When you look underneath, like the K rate is the major issue. The contact issues are major. That's the big piece for him. But like plate discipline is very good. 22.6% career O swing, which is borderline elite. The hard hit rates are fine. Um, And when you look at what he's done over his 419 plate appearances in the majors, if you look past the 191 ERA or the 191 batting average, He's got 16 home runs and 10 stolen bases and 419 plate appearances, you know, with a decent amount of counting stats to go along with that. Obviously that was with the Astros. So, you know, maybe the rates won't stay up at the same amount, but he walks, he gets on base, not like he doesn't have a high on base average, but his batting average is not um, as detrimental as it would be otherwise if he did not have good plate discipline. I want to make sure I frame that correctly. And then when you dive into the StatCast stat metrics, they're really nice. You know, 6.6% barrels per plate appearance, so better than league average. 44.3% hard hit rate, which is solid. Um, that's his StatCast hard hit rate. 114 mile per hour max exit below, 95.5 miles per hour exit below on uh, fly, uh, on uh, line drives and fly, fly balls. Right next to Ronald Acuna and Ryan Braun, Ian Happ, and Yohan Moncada in that group. Um, that's a nice little group, uh, to be in. So there's a major flaw with the contact rate. Um, if he can somehow find a way to overcome that major flaw in his contact rate and the super high strikeout rate and at least keep it manageable, like in the mid twenties, you know, even the high twenties, you know, you could be looking at a guy who hits 240, 250, you know, with, you know, again, like another 2010 possibility, uh, with, you know, somewhat okay rate uh counting stats so uh he's a definitely an interesting guy for me um what about you Bubba who's your who's your number three and don't say it's the same guy that I chose because no. then we'll just have to throw a party for how brilliant we
1: are <laughs> you know it's not Derek Fisher uh I, I understand yeah I understand the intrigue of him but mine it's another Baltimore Oriole and they're no fun but uh Anthony Santander is an intriguing play to me 20 home runs last year 261 I think he can definitely hit 20-plus again in Camden this year. And then the counting stats, maybe he can go 70-70 there and, and help you out a bit and don't crush you in batting average of 250. But a late source of power. I liked his uh, improvements in his stat cast number with a 7.7% barrel. Still not, like, great, but it's above average and, and a 2.7% improvement from the previous season. Uh, he saw a sweep spot, sweet spot percentage go up. His x baking went up. His hard hit rate went from 26 to 36 uh, all things that I, I, are really nice to see from a power bat still a lot of ground balls not a lot of fly balls He is a, he's a big fly ball line drive combo guy which is good as he meant pretty sticky as mr uh chamberlain would say but would love to see the ground balls go down a bit massive pull power and that goes well in Camden Yards. so there's a lot to, to like there there are obviously some scary moments he chases the ball 39 percent of the time up from 32.5 so a lot of that going on that's why his Strikeout rate rose as well, but um, if you can work on the that a bit, lower the ground balls, elevate the ball some more. The power is legit, and there could there could be a lot to like there with Santander. Should play every day because there's really no reason not to play him. Uh, he's a switch hitter, which is always nice as well. Only 25 years old, hitting in the middle of that order uh, could be could be fun as a late source of power in your draft. So that would be my number three. Nice. All right, we have a, uh, a few listener questions from last week for these later round targets. So let me pull some of these up here. Dave Petros Yellow says, okay, wanted to ask about StatCast darling J.D. Davis last week, but I'm glad it was put off. Am I correct to be slightly concerned about Suspetus if he can actually stay healthy, taking some of the bats from Davis? In that instance, I would put McNeil at second and Davis at third and let Kano sit. Do you believe uh, or hit the bench? Uh, we'll we'll leave it there. He's got it's like a two-parter. So do you think Cespedes steals that bats from Davis?
2: I wouldn't necessarily be super worried about it at this point in time just because Cespedes has not shown the ability for multiple years um, to be healthy. And so, you know, right now I think that. Davis has a pretty decent shot at playing time, you know, getting the bulk of at bats. Um, but, you know, they've mentioned Dom Smith as the one who's really competing for him. And so I think maybe you you dock him a little bit thinking Cespedes could come back. Um, but, you know, again, like I think it's one of these tough ones because where J.D. Davis is going, right, like, He's going, there's still a lot of really good players left. And so you have kind of, he's clearly in a timeshare. He's not going to be getting, you know, 600 plate appearances, barring, uh, barring injury. He's shown himself to be a very good hitter. He was really good last year. Um, but then there's also kind of the possibility that somebody else could interfere there. So again, like I I wouldn't be super concerned about it at this point in time, just because I think J.D. Davis is a better hitter than Cespedes. And I think that Cespedes is not, you know, I I know J.D. Davis is bad. I imagine Cespedes, given some of the injuries, is also bad. So I wouldn't be too concerned, but it definitely is something to consider, um, especially as we learn more in spring training about what uh, the utilization of those different players might be.
1: Yeah, he's definitely another source of problem for JD Davis. I'm not as worried about that as the platoon with Dom Smith, like you said. But in theory, they want us out there. And if he's going to play, that would be a spot to put in him because you got Nemo and you got Conforto out there already. Marisnik, if Nemo sits, and play center field. So you got Suspedis, Davis, and Dom Smith in left field in theory. So, yes, he should be a concern, but I don't think a major concern. Uh, he also really likes Brian Reynolds. He wanted to let us know that. Um, Eric, awesome. Sim- and, Eric Sim- and, Sim- yeah, and one thing, like just looking at Dom Smith's,
2: um you know, he was he was pretty good last year. You know, yeah, eleven home runs, platoon. eleven home runs, and under two hundred plate appearances, two eighty-two batting average. You know, ATC hasn't falling down to two forty-six. ATC also has Davis down at two seventy-seven. I think. You know, so there's not a a massive difference um between those two necessarily um you know especially given smith former elite prospect definitely has pedigree definitely has hit tool um so i just think that there's there's a lot going on there and i yeah. think that's probably why i don't have any shares of jd davis
1: <laughs> uh, eric samolsky asked please make sense of the rays and reds outfold for me thanks Um, we've beaten around the bush. The Reds is a very, very tricky one with, uh, Aquino and Senzel and Akiyama and Winker and Van Meter and the list goes on and on. Um, for me, it's, you know, Akiyama should be hitting towards the top of the order every day, OBP making that happen. And then you got Castellanos doing his thing. He'll play every day. So those two for me are pretty locked in. The roster resource has Akiyama splitting a platoon there. But I, I, I see him playing a lot. It's the Winker, Aquino, Philip Irvin, that mess, which is terrifying. So I love, that. I love Castellanos. Akiyama I would trust. The rest of it I'm just kind of staying away from. We'll start with the Reds. What are your thoughts on the Reds outfield?
2: Yeah, I mean, the Reds outfield is a little tough. Um, you know, because... Yeah. I mean, there's just so much. There's so many guys. I mean, they're all like pretty good, right? Because, you know, Nick Senzel, I'm looking at roster resource and Senzel's like on the injured list. So it's like, yeah, is he going to sub for Freddie Galvis? Is he going to be out there in the outfield? You know um, I think I agree with you. I think Castellanos is an everyday player. Uh, The contract showed that that's what he's going to be. And so I would kind of cross that one out. Then you have Shogo, who's going to be in center against uh, righties, at least. And against lefties, it's like, who do you really have to sub in there? Maybe Senzel, right, um, against lefties. So maybe Senzel is there against lefties. You know, that leaves, uh, you know, so Winker um, potentially in left field, you know, against righties. Uh, but... um you know and so then you don't have Aquino in there. So do you then do you have Aquino um, you know as the short side of the platoon there? Uh, with Winker, Philip Irvin doesn't have any more options. I saw this conversation happening on Twitter earlier today. Philip Irvin doesn't have any more options, so it, they can't really send him down because I'm sure somebody would pick him up. and he also like deserves to have that opportunity. You also have Van Meter who's kind of hanging out there. Um, maybe better at you know second base than anywhere else, but you have Mostakas there, so it's just a little bit of a crap show. So what I'd say from a fantasy perspective is like Castellanos and Akiyama. I think have the most fantasy value from that outfield. Castellanos clearly number one because he's going to play every day. I think Akiyama has strong side of the platoon. He's got a skill set. I think that that deserves some um, uh, you know some goodness. Winker's always been super interesting, but he's never he hasn't been able to put it together um consistently at all. I think Aquino could be super interesting, but again, like with the price that you have to pay and the potentially limited amount of playing time that he has, that's a big question mark. None of them separate themselves defensively really. So I think it's just kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a crap show there. So, I would just be focusing on Castianos and Akiyama, I think where Aquino's going like price wise It's hard to really like him there. Senzel unless we hear some clear news that he's definitely gonna get time at shortstop over Galvis you know is is kind of a little bit difficult, and I know it's always draft skills over roles, but um you know it, it, when it's hard to see how somebody gets clear playing time, like full-side playing time, that limits the upside of even the skills to begin with. So that's how I'd kind of tackle the Reds, I would say, is by staying away.
1: <laughs> uh, when it comes to the race side of things, like you got Austin Meadows, who should play every day. You mentioned Kevin Kiermaier. If healthy, she get a ton of playing time. But then you got Hunter Renfro. Yoshi Satsugo should be DH, but could play the outfield. you got Manny Margot, Jose Martinez. It's a little more... More clear than the Reds, but still some moving pieces there. Um, You know, we talked about Kiermaier tonight. Meadows is definitely in play. But then other than that, you you like to see a Jose Martinez or a Manny Margot. You mentioned him earlier. But uh, Renfro appears to be the guy. I kind of just want to stick with Meadows and Kiermaier, but they all have a little bit of validity to them. How do you attack the Reds or the Rays situation?
2: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's, you know, Meadows is going to play every day. Kiermaier and Margot are going to platoon in center. And so the right field is what it comes down to. I mean, the one thing that Renfro does have going in his favor is that he is excellent defensively. You know, he did win um, the gold glove last year um, in right field. So he has been very good defensively. Um, What I'm trying to see is what his career splits are. Yeah, so he definitely has the lefty righty splits um, for Renfro over his career. Two twenty one batting average against righties, two sixty nine versus lefties, um, uh, one thirty nine WRC plus against lefties, ninety against righties. So not you know not not atrocious. And so the question is how much that playing, t- how much that defense, how many at bats it gets him against righties because. Some of the guys you mentioned, like Susugo, is not supposed to be good uh, defensively, so it may be hard to find some time for him there. Um, in the outfield, Joey Wendell is obviously a guy that they've kind of moved around in a lot of places. I don't think Jose Martinez is going to play the outfield. Um, I think he, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, like, depending on how he hits, if he actually gets close to full-time uh, DH spots there, and they just kind of move and mix and match. Um uh Tsutsugo around to get him spots so I think for me the key is Meadows is the guy that I really want um out of that outfield obviously that's nothing brilliant I do think the kiermeyer Margot platoon in deeper leagues could be an interesting little you know just like two guys to kind of switch off depending on who they are if you're in a daily league or even in like an NFBC style split it in two if you can get you know like Kiermeyer for three out of four in one piece or Margot for two out of three on the weekend or something like that, that could be somewhat interesting. And if, if, if Kiermaier gets hurt, which is, you know, likely at this point in the, in the season, Margot is really the strong, you know, he seems to be, I'm probably missing some guys in the minors just because they're so deep, but he seems to be the guy that would get regular plate appearances in center field. So again, like I would treat it similar to the reds and saying like, okay, I know that um, I know that, Meadows is going to get everyday play appearances. The Margot Kiermaier seems like a pretty standard platoon and then you have, you know, Renfro and a few other guys maybe competing for some spots there, but I think Renfro gets the bulk of that just because again, they gave up a lot to get him so they clearly like him a lot and he also is really good defensively and I know that that's something that, you know, the Rays certainly value.
1: Yeah, no doubt no doubt about it. It'll be interesting to see how they Pencil these two outfields together. Uh, Matt Olson at Moles10 asked, do you guys find it valuable to build a roster from bottom up? Say most of the cheaper assets are at a particular position, so you attack other positions earlier. Is this more practical in auctions? I'd say it's more practical in auctions, but um, I don't really focus on, I guess, a bottom-up approach more so. As I kind of know how I want to build my roster. I know you like to build your roster a certain way. And I attack it that way, but uh, maybe I'm not understanding the question, but I don't really focus on a bottom up approach. What about you?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's just really important to know is like what the profiles of the guys going towards the back end of drafts are, because um, I do think that, you know, like if you can say, say for instance, that, that you're going to employ a strategy. Like one of the things that I do that I have mentioned on this show before and in, in my podcast, when I've done some solo podcasts is that I like to start, with infield, if possible, right? Like, if all things being equal, I will go infield over outfield to begin with, just because I do think that they're shallower; they're not as deep as outfield. Like, we covered the top 90 outfielders. And, like, even in that last little group that we covered, I mean, there's still guys like Brett Gardner and Yastrzemski and Santana and Hap who have a lot that they can contribute. And you can always kind of mix and match that last outfield spot based on matchups. Um, you know and and who's getting playing time at any at any given time so I do like the idea of you know maybe waiting on outfield a little bit because it is deeper and then like attacking infield early on but it's not something where i'd i'd make a major adjustment in valuation at all um, as a result of that so I definitely like that but what I think it is helpful to do is just to be familiar with the player pool and who who's available like to know, for instance, like, oh, if I'm late in the draft and I'm not where I necessarily want to be in batting average, you know, I could get a Brian Reynolds, you know, around pick 190. I could get an Adam Eaton, you know, around pick 200. I could get an Alex Verdugo maybe a little bit later than that. I could get a um, – there's one other guy that we mentioned who falls – I could get a Ryan Braun like, you know, a little bit later. I could get a How Shogo Okuyama. How could I forget him? If you could get a Shogo Okuyama, like, a little bit later. You could get a David Peralta a little bit later. And then if you're going through the same exercise, and it's like you – you, like, I normally go into to the end of drafts light on power because I'm focusing on batting average and stolen bases early on, you know, sometimes to the detriment of my power. So in that particular instance, then I'm kind of sitting there going through the draft thinking, okay, I've got Jock who's available, like, slightly after pick 200. Then I've got Justin Upton who's going like around pick 220 or so, you know, if I miss out on him. And if I miss out on him, then I've got to got like Hunter Renfro, you know, five picks later who I might be able to get to. And then if I miss out on him, then I have a Mark Konya. If I miss out on him, I have Randall Grichuk waiting there for me. So then you may want to say, you want to know something about all those guys I like Grichuk the most and he's going late. So maybe I'm going to bump him up a couple rounds beyond where he goes in ADP and, and hopefully get him knowing that I'm probably going to be short on, on home runs. So I think that that makes a lot of sense to go about it in that way and to kind of think about it from a strategic standpoint and like, who are the groups of players that are available that will fit these different needs based on team construction as I enter different points of the draft? Because there are certain points when you're like, Oh shit. Oh crap. I'm out. Like, I don't, I don't, there's nowhere else I can really turn that's going to help me here, but you need to understand their profiles so that if you're like, need batting average and stolen bases you're not like oh great I'm gonna get Corey Dickerson it's like well I got bad news like you know what you needed to do well like maybe Ian Happ or actually Ian Happ in that situation isn't a good one so then you're like oh man like I kind of blew it because what I should have done in an earlier round is go after maybe um, a Shogo Akiyama like that was probably my last chance to get you know potential batting average and speed um, you know, in that particular instance. So I just think knowing the back end of the player pool is so helpful because as you go through the draft and you start to build out your team and every team, especially 15 teamers, is going to have a weakness, you can identify where those weaknesses are and figure out which, which players are that puzzle piece that fits in with what you have right now.
1: Yeah, I guess the biggest thing is just know the player pool. We talk about it over and over again. Know the player pool, know what you want, build your roster from there. Um, next up, at HJS561, where are guys like Lourdes Gurriel, Justin Upton, McCutcheon, and Braun going Or why are guys like Gurriel, Upton, McCutcheon, and Bron going overlooked when they all should have steady playing time plus give you value in home runs and stolen bases, ageism and health for Upton, McCutcheon, and Braun question mark? I'd say age is for sure one thing. Injury concerns with Upton and McCutcheon are in play, even Bron, I guess um you got so many shiny new toys that people want to use playing time isn't 100 percent for uh a, you know braun and even guriel could run into a platoon at times with certain guys those would be my answers they're all very solid options guys I i'm targeting all of them in my drafts but i would imagine age and injury concern is the biggest thing for the those three and guriel just there's a lot of people that don't buy into his overall metrics i guess what about you
2: yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that, um, I think that, yeah, it's like age. I mean, Braun, like saying that Braun has pretty consistent playing time. Like, you know, he's he's on a, He's in a platoon. Like, he hasn't had 600 plate appearances in seven years or something like that. Like, that's not necessarily what I would consider consistent playing time. Like, that's something that you need to manage in your roster. If you're in like a, a daily league, that might be slightly different. But in fifteen-team leagues, like deeper leagues, that's definitely <coughs> playing time concern. Um, <clears throat> Bubba, you want to take over? I'm. I, I need to get a glass of okay. water. So talk here for a second, because I'm. I'm. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm signaling to my wife in the need for water. Okay, it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me. Don't worry, folks. Sometimes I get emotional when I get uh, questions about Ryan Braun, you know,
1: towards the end of his career, right? Bubba? Yes, it's it's a very touching time. It's like were the steroid allegations real? Was he a Hall of Famer? The guys a be so many, so many things that make you want to get choked up and think he might not make it to the Hall of Fame. So I understand. Oh man, emotional.
2: Okay. So with Gurriel though, but even with Guriel, right? His projection, I have his projection worth about eleven dollars. That makes him the hundred fifty fourth ranked player. His ADP right now is around 160. So he's actually kind of seems fairly priced. I think where you are getting a discount, so like Braun, he's going around 260. I have him around 200 in terms of the rank of the player. So you're getting a a bump there. McCutcheon, $8 player, you know, 202nd ranked hitter. He's going 207th in terms of ADP. Upton, 214. You know, he's a $7 player according to his projection, you know, 230th is around where his ADP is. So they actually seem fairly in line with the ADP based on the projection. I think it's just a little bit of like, we're probably thinking these guys just had one down year or they had one injury. They're going to be back to where they were before. The projections are kind of like, hold on a second, hold on a second. And then I think with some of them, like, the ADP hasn't quite caught up to maybe how good they are, but I think there are legitimate reasons, right? Like we wouldn't be surprised if Braun had an injury and he only reached like 300 or 400 plate appearances, right? McCutcheon's Mm -hmm. coming off, not just any injury, like for a guy who used to steal bases, a guy, you know, an A a torn ACL and it hasn't even been a year, right? It's been like nine months since he tore that ACL Upton for me is a little bit of in a different category just because, you know, they weren't, um, they shouldn't be injuries that continue to affect him. He had two of them last year. And so I feel a little bit better. And he's also only 32. So he's on the younger side of all of those guys. And then Gurriel, obviously, like, I think he's he's a really good player. He's a really good hitter. I think the projections are somewhat recognizing that. But there may be some upside there that, you know, that that, that is being missed.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good group, though. So if uh, they're falling, enjoy them. Uh, that's what the best advice I can give you there. Uh, Joe Payne, at P-E-I-N-E underscore Joe. So the first part of the question, he needs to keep three of these four players in a points league that doesn't punish strikeouts. Who are the three guys you keep? Ian Hap, Will Myers, Domingo Santana, Gregory Polanco.
2: He's in a league that doesn't punish strikeouts.
1: Points league doesn't punish strikeouts. Um, I mean, there's
2: just so much to ask. Like, does it it, it do walks? Are walks helpful, for instance,
1: would be one I'm I'm assuming most points leagues count all kinds of, like, you know, singles, doubles, walks. I'm assuming it's everything but not doing strikeouts.
2: Man, I mean, with points questions, like, I'm always, like, a broken record because I'm like, well, in points league, you can actually, like, just take a guy's projection and calculate, like, how many points that would theoretically get you. So, like, in terms of, like, ranking them, So, um, but with that said, so I would say Ian Happ, I think of that group I would have on there, um, for sure. Just because I think the combination of playing side, playing time upside, um, is really, really good with him. Will Myers, Gregory Polanco, and who is the fourth? Uh,
1: Domingo Santana.
2: Domingo Santana. Um, I would probably go with Domingo Santana in that particular case. I think the lineup is very, very good. I think from a home run perspective, because stolen bases aren't as important, obviously, in points league as they are otherwise. And so, you know, Santana, I think, has been a more, more consistently healthy and power hitter in that instance. And I think in the Indians lineup, he should be really... He should, he should get a, a, a good some good opportunities there, but also it, it's a tough one because it's like with will with Will Myers, the path to playing time may not be as obvious, but he also walks a ton. So if walks count, like he also gets a little bit of a bump there. but i'll I'll stick with Domingo Santana and Ian Hap, probably of those of the that group of two.
1: You get to keep three out of the four.
2: Oh, you get to keep three. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. God, I totally missed the question. Um, Then I would probably go um, Will Myers and not Polanco. I don't think Polanco has had the same. First of all, the injuries are a massive concern, and I just don't think he has shown the same level of power as those other guys. And the lineup is not as good. So, like, like, yeah, his max number of home runs is 23, no, 22. Those other guys all have kind of 30 home run potential,
1: I think. So, yeah. that's what I'd go with. Yeah, I like Hap, Myers, and Santana also. Polanco's interesting if you want to get risky. But uh, the other three I like a lot better. Um, and then, which one of these four? Ryan Braun, Anthony Santander... Brett Gardner, Cole Calhoun.
2: Um of that group, I would go with uh I mean there's so many questions I want to ask them. This is the difference. I'm like sitting here dawdling on all the questions, Bubba, and you're just like, I'd take these three too. Um I would say I would say um yeah, just because it's like what type of league? Is it a daily league? Is it not a daily league? I would probably lean Braun just because I think yeah. batting average, power stolen bases, limited plate appearances. Theoretically, you know, if it's a daily league or even in a league that you split up halfway through the week, you can kind of maximize uh, the value of that spot by having him, moving him kind of in and out. So I'd probably go with him.
1: Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going Braun as well, obviously. But uh, there are questions to be had. Gardner could be very interesting also. But I, I go Ryan Braun in that scenario. And I believe our last question of night from at Beat at beat Rick and Frank. JB, you guys are doing great stuff. What are your thoughts on Brian Reynolds on Pittsburgh? Where do you rank him and who is he comparable to? Um, and then late-round sleepers. We talked about late-round sleepers already. We did three of those each. Uh, Brian Reynolds, you want to give a quick run back on your thoughts on him? For sure, yeah. And then um, and JB,
2: um, Beat Rick and Frank, that's the guy who made the balls for us. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. Wife. Thank you for those. Those are yeah, awesome. his- his wife um, makes uh, embroiders baseballs, um, which is really cool, and just sent a couple to me and Bubba as a gift, which was super thoughtful and nice. So, mm-hmm. super yep, appreciate. Right. I just put it in my hand. That. It's right next to me here. So, you got no. it right there. My kids love it too. They're like playing with it. Let me actually. I want to give a shout out to. Um, I want to give a shout out to his uh, wife's company because I got it right here. It is. Um, it is Jody B creates so www.jodbcreates.com these embroidered baseballs. Um, she makes some other stuff that's really cool. Um, so check that out. Um, that was not planned or else I would have had that like right in front of me, but I uh, really appreciate that. <laughs> Brian Reynolds, um, you know he hits for batting average, uh, does a really good job of it. I think that he you know he may have a little bit more power um than we've seen so far like he's just hit at every single stop you know he hit he hasn't hit below 302 in any stop in the minor leagues you know 314 last year obviously um makes a decent amount of contact but he's just a guy who he's like a like a launch angle guy like he hits a lot of balls at really nice launch angles that tend to drop in as hits and so i think the batting average is definitely real uh, twenty home run upside for sure. handful of stolen bases should get all the playing playing time. So I think he's really solid where he's going. Um, my valuations have him uh, as the at twelve dollars, hundred forty second most valuable player, um, and he is hundred and ninety second in terms of ADP. So you're gaining about fifty ADP spots in terms of the value. So. I think he's solid. If you're if you're if you're if you need batting average late without hurting you in any other categories, I think he's a really solid get. Him him and Adam Eaton are pretty similar, and I and I'd have them as two guys to be targeting late for batting average.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. Brian Reynolds has that uh, interesting upside, just on a bad team. Where I'd I'd probably rather go to Adam Eaton just over his team context, but both have a very similar batting average upside. Going to score some runs, run into some homers. I might, I kind of think Eaton might steal more bags than Brian Reynolds as well, but a lot of similarities in, in the respect between the two. So both, both good values where they're going, but give me some Adam Eaton. All right, Toby, that wraps up our outfield preview part two next week. We get to start starting pitchers. Oh, so that's going to be a fun one. I'm, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. How are we going to do that? Bob? Are we're doing one through 45 again? <laughs> We're going to do something like that. We'll have to decide on a number because I don't know if we want to go 90 deep at starting pitchers, but we just might. We shall see. We'll have to uh, text and figure that out throughout the week. Maybe the masses can tell us what they want, and we'll make it happen for them. But uh, it was a fun one. Any final thoughts on the outfield?
2: Uh, No, I I think this was definitely um, a lot of – definitely a lot of fun. I uh, really enjoyed getting through these guys. Like I mentioned, outfield is deep. I think there's a lot of different profiles to meet a lot of different team needs. And so if you do have the opportunity to leave a couple of your outfield spots open and target some other positions early on in drafts, I would I would recommend doing that.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. For me, with like five outfielders, I want to get some of the big guns, but it's not as urgent. Like if you get one or two of them, then you can kind of dabble as you go on later in your drafts. I'm 100% on board with you there i don't want to leave them all so um yeah but there's there's tons of depth we went over 90 guys in your 15 team five outfielder leagues that's uh 75 outfielders so it's, it's gonna go deep you're gonna have some fun with that but uh check out toby on twitter at batflip crazy i am on twitter at bd and this was another episode of Bubba and the Batflip, episode 25 outfield preview part two catch you guys later